Greetings, podcast friends. I hope you had a blessed Christmas season and a joyous celebration of the new year. In fact, I hope that you have an incredibly wonderful year in 2024. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Wisdom from Above. This podcast is designed to help us move beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. This wisdom from above is revealed in the Bible. Season 10 of Wisdom from Above is a series of episodes with special emphasis on practical Christianity. It's a series of how-tos and practical truths. Today's podcast is designed to help us discover how to have a heart for the lost. You see, true Christianity challenges us to look beyond our own needs to the needs of others. Unfortunately, in today's world, far too many people are mostly just concerned about themselves. Charles Schultz, creator of the Peanuts cartoon strip, illustrates this phenomena. Charlie and Linus are leaning against the fence. Linus says to Charlie, I feel kind of depressed today. Do you ever have the feeling that life has passed you by? Charlie replies, worse than that, sometimes I feel like life and I are going in opposite directions. <laughs> Another comic strip has Charlie Brown standing in front of Lucy's booth. The sign over her booth reads, psychiatric help, five cents. Lucy says, you have a problem? Well, you've come to the right place. And Charlie Brown replies, that's very comforting. Lucy says, oh, this is the right place, all right. I need the money. <laughs> My dear fellow believers, we are living in a real world with real hurts. We rub shoulders every day with folks who feel that life has passed them by or that life is going in the opposite direction. We rub shoulders every day with folks who are hurting. Many of your neighbors, your co-workers, and your classmates are desperately looking for someone who really cares. Someone who's sensitive enough to pick up their cry for help. Some of you may be living next door to people who are crying for help and you haven't heard their cry. Some of you may be working with people who are facing tremendous pressures and you haven't sensed their need. Uh, many of you are going to school with young people who feel that life no longer has any meaning and you haven't picked up on that need. I have a message for you. Or maybe just personal in that you are facing tremendous difficulties. You are hurting because of what is happening in your marriage. Or you are struggling because of your job situation being unstable or unhealthy or non-existent. Some of you are fearful because of your financial picture. Some of you are hurting because the loved one's in trouble. Some of you are hurting because of injustice or inequity. Some of you are struggling because you can't get over the feeling that life is unfair. Some of you are lost and lonely, bound by sin and guilt. Some of you feel helpless and hopeless. Some of you are longing to know that someone genuinely cares for you and your life and your future. Well, there is someone who cares. And I have a message for you. The message is found in the first book of the New Testament, 
The Gospel According to Matthew, Chapter 9. Verse 35 provides the background for our passage. And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He's teaching, proclaiming, healing. So Jesus Christ was the master teacher. They were amazed at his teaching. He taught as one who had authority. Jesus Christ was the chief evangelist. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Good news is gospel, the gospel. A message that seeks the response, I believe. A message which meets the cry, I, I need help. I need hope. I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I want eternal life. Jesus Christ was also the great physician. And we know that even today God can heal. And sometimes God does heal, but not always, because healing is not promised everyone in this life. Sometimes God allows suffering or sickness to come into our lives in order to bring about some greater blessing. Now I'm going to ask you to use your imagination as we dig into this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9. I want you to imagine that you were there with Jesus. You've come with Jesus into the marketplace. The hot Palestinian sun is beating down on your head. The wonderful smell of food is reaching your nose. The braying of a donkey catches your ear. There are people all over the place. Some are selling. Others are buying. Some folks are talking. Some are arguing. Others are just walking around. Some are pushing you out of their way, squeezing into lines and crowding you away. And others are pleading with you for your business and trying to sell you their wares. And what are your feelings at this point? Well, your body is hot. Your feet are tired, your stomach is hungry, and you're getting a little annoyed by all the people and the pushiness and the selling and the irritation. What is the Lord feeling at this point in time? Well, look closely at verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. The root of this word for compassion is splankna, which refers to our innards, our inward parts or our guts. And this Greek term graphically portrays someone who's being torn up inside. Jesus was torn up inside when he saw these people. His heart was breaking due to the compassion he had for these people. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, why the difference between what you saw and what Jesus saw? Why the difference between what Jesus saw and felt and what the disciples saw and felt? Well, the problem is a problem of perspective. I want to highlight three terms from this first verse. Verse 36. It's a problem of perspective. 
The first term I want to highlight is compassion. Compassion is a deep-seated emotion that not only moves the heart to feel pity, but it also moves the person to action, to meet the need. This word is used in the parable of the forgiving master. It's used in the parable of the loving father. It's used in the parable of the good Samaritan. In each case, we see the term compassion. It's used in nine other places, all in the Gospels, all of Jesus. Jesus felt compassion for the hungry, and he fed them. Jesus felt compassion for the leper, and he healed him. Jesus felt compassion for the two blind men, and he gave them sight. Jesus felt compassion for a mourning mother, and raised her son. You see, he didn't just have a heart moved to feel pity. He was moved to meet the need. The second is distressed. The Greek term originally meant to strip off the skin or hide of, to tear or rip off. Aeschylus used it in the tearing of dead bodies by fish. It meant to rob or plunder or fleece. Jesus Christ saw these people as sheep who had been fleeced and skinned and harassed. The third term is downcast. The term originally meant to cast down. It's used of Judas casting down silver in the sanctuary. It's used of a demon casting down a boy to the ground. It's used of tying a millstone around a person's neck and casting him down into the city. And it came to mean cast down or downcast or discouraged or depressed. You see, Jesus saw the people just as Ezekiel prophesied, hungry and not fed, diseased and not strengthened, sick and not healed, broken and not bound, driven away and not brought back, lost and not sought after, and scattered because there was no shepherd. Now look at verse 37. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Why does Jesus have to tell them this? It's a problem for perspective. We don't see people as Jesus does. We rub shoulders almost every day with someone crying out for help and love, but we don't pick up on their vibrations. We don't hear their cry. We don't see their need. Jesus looked at them, and he had compassion on them. We have a problem of perspective. We don't see people as Jesus saw them. And this problem of perspective leads to a lack of labors. So that's the result, a lack of labors. And Jesus makes two observations here. Number one, the harvest is plentiful. Like a huge field of sun-ripened grain that is soon to be gathered or gone, many people are ripe for the gospel. Many people are ready to be reached. They must be gathered or they will be gone. They're needy people. They need the Lord. They need a Savior. But someone must tell them of the Savior. Someone must tell them of God's love. As the Bible says, How shall they call on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless someone tell them? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Few believers are genuinely trying to reach the lost. Few believers have a list of unsaved acquaintances they pray for regularly. Few believers have a plan to reach family and friends with the gospel. 
Few believers have a plan to reach acquaintances and associates with the gospel. Few believers have a plan to reach classmates and co-workers with the gospel. You see, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. First, we have a problem of perspective. We don't see people as Christ saw them. And then second, the result is a lack of labors. Since we don't see their need and their readiness to hear the good news of the gospel, we don't try to reach them with the gospel. Now, I want to make an observation. At the same time, there can be a lot of believers and a lack of laborers. Please note, Jesus did not say, the harvest is plentiful, but the believers are few. No. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are plenty of believers, but there are too few harvesters. Are you involved in reaching people with the gospel? Do you think you can just leave that up to others? Too many Christians are like calluses. They show up after the work is done. <laughs> and they, they always expect someone else to do what God wants done. The casual observer of multitudes will never see what Jesus saw. W.H. Griffith Thomas put it this way, It is surely due to a lack of spiritual insight that we fail to realize how much men are hungering for God. So the problem, we see people, but we have no compassion. That's a problem of perspective. The result, we see no need, so we do no work. There's a lack of laborers. A lack of laborers. The solution, the power of prayer. Jesus gives a solution in verse 38. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, our task is praying. The word for prayer that Jesus used here is a strong word, deomai. It is used of a leper imploring Christ to heal him. It is used of Paul begging for an opportunity to speak. It is used of Jesus praying that Satan wouldn't sift Peter. All of these Terms indicate a very strong and very powerful concern. And it's important to notice here that Jesus didn't say our task was going. He said our task was praying. Why? Well, first, praying for others will enable us to connect with God's heart for the lost, and it will cultivate our compassion for the lost. Second, Praying reminds us that this problem can only be solved by God. It's not by man's might, nor by people's power, but by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit that people will see the glorious light of the gospel and place their faith in Christ. God must work in the heart of the worker, and God must open the heart of the hearer. As Prof. Hendricks used to say, we need to talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. So our task is praying. And then the Lord's task is sending. This is the Lord's task. We're to do the praying. The Lord will do the sending. This is the Lord's promise. Jesus promises that in response to our prayers, he will send out workers into his harvest. Some will be full-time workers. Some will be part-time workers. 
Others will be anytime workers. That is, they will be ready to reach out and ready to share the gospel with whomever the Lord wants, whenever the Lord wants. God, in his own way, will call believers and equip believers and send believers out into the harvest with a passionate concern for people. Now, don't miss this. If you know the Lord personally as your Savior, He is calling you. He wants to equip you. He wants you to reach out to the lost with the love of Christ and the hope of eternal life. You don't have to cross a border to be a missionary. You don't have to go to another country to be an evangelist. I mean, you should if God asks you to do so. But don't forget, He, God is asking every single believer to reach out in love. God is asking every single believer to share the gospel with others. Every one of us has acquaintances and associates, family and friends, classmates and co-workers that need to know Jesus personally. Let me take a few moments to drive home these truths. First, but first, I, I want you to identify with one of two groups in this passage. Either those who know the shepherd, the believers, or those who want to know the shepherd, the seekers. So I want you to either identify as a believer, if that's what you are, a believer in Jesus, or a seeker if you've not yet believed in Jesus. Now let me share three challenges with those who are believers in Jesus. Number one, we need to see people as Christ sees them. We should be moved to compassion when we see people without Christ. But, you ask, how can I develop a Christ-like heart? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me illustrate. A young boy saw an ad in the newspaper, Five Pups for Sale. He gathered up all his change and went over to the address in the paper and he knocked on the door. A big man came to the door and said, Yes, what can I do for you? I'd like to see the puppies, said the boy. The men went out into another room, and moments later, he came back with four little pups. The little boy got down on the floor and started looking over the frisky pups, playing with each of them, and finally the boy selected one and said, I'll take this one. The man smiled and said, Son, I'm afraid you can't afford these pups. The boy reached into his pocket and pulled out around 85 cents change. I'm sorry, son. These pups are registered purebreds, and they cost a lot of money. The boy put down the pup, and brokenhearted, he started to the door to leave. Then he turned around and said, Where's the fifth puppy? Oh, it's in the back, the man said, but you wouldn't be interested in it. It has a birth defect. Oh, please let me see it. So the man went out and came back with a little puppy that had only three legs and a little stump where the fourth leg should have been. The little boy was obviously attracted to the pup. He quickly took it in his arms, and while hugging the pup, he asked, Please, mister, please let me buy this puppy. The man looked at the boy, realized how badly he wanted it, and he said, Well, that puppy costs 85 cents. So the boy purchased the puppy for 85 cents. 
Smiling this time, the boy held the puppy tightly to his chest as he was going to the door to leave. Just as he was about to go out the door, the man asked, Why why did you love that puppy so much? The boy reached down and pulled up a pant leg, revealing a brace. That's why I loved him so much. You see, the puppy had a bad leg and the boy had a bad leg. Well, that's why you can love someone who's lost and without Christ. Because you were lost and without Christ. That's why you can love someone who's spiritually blind. Because you were spiritually blind. That's why you can love someone who's without hope. Because you were without hope. That's why you can love someone who's without eternal life. Because you were without eternal life. You were in the same condition they are. Until someone cared enough to tell you how to know Christ. How to have your sins forgiven. How to have eternal life. Someone reached out to you with the gospel. We can measure our Christ-likeness in perspective by the depth of our compassion for those who are lost, those who are searching for meaning in life, those who are without Jesus and without eternal hope. We need to see people as God sees them. People need the Lord. Number two, we need to pray. Griffith Thomas said it. If you cannot do anything else, you can pray, yes, But if you do not pray, you cannot do anything else. I love that quote. Our responsibility is to pray. God's responsibility is to send. But notice, prayer is not optional. It is essential. Samuel Chadwick once said, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at her toll. He mocks her wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. We should be praying because prayer will cultivate that compassion for those who don't know Christ. As we pray for the lost, we gain gain a greater heart for the lost. We should pray what the songwriter once wrote. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. Oh, may I humbly do my part to win that soul for thee. We need to pray. Number three, we need to seize opportunities. We need to be sensitive to the opportunities God gives us to minister. There's a legend of three men crossing the desert by camel at night. Out of the darkness came a voice commanding them to dismount and fill their pockets with pebbles. Then the voice declared, At the coming of the sun, you will be both glad and sorry. At dawn, when the sun started coming up, the men reached in their pockets and discovered Not pebbles, but diamonds. And they were both glad and sorry. Glad they'd taken as many as they had. Sorry they had not taken more. Well, we need to seize the opportunities God gives us. And at the coming of the Son of God, we will be both glad and sorry. Glad we took as many opportunities as we did. Sorry we did not take more. An old chorus captures this desire to seize opportunities to reach out to the lost. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning. Men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story of pardon to tell.
And now I'd like to issue an invitation to those of you who are seeking to know Jesus. It is possible that you are searching for meaning in life. It's possible that you're crying out for someone who cares. It's possible that you long for forgiveness. It's possible that you're hungering for a personal relationship with God. You're seeking for peace in your heart and hope for the future and eternal life. It's possible you're now aware of your need for the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. You begin listening to this episode without Christ, without forgiveness, and without eternal life. You can end this episode today with the joy of having Christ as your personal Savior. You can end this episode today with the relief of having your sins forgiven and the blessed assurance of eternal life. You see, I have some good news for you. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans three twenty three says, We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans six twenty three says, The wages of our sin is death, spiritual separation from God for all eternity. You say, Wait a minute, Harlan. I thought you said you had good news. Well, I do. You see, Romans six twenty three says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. And John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only son to die in our place and pay for our sins, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you get the picture? Included in the gospel is both bad news and good news, both a warning and an invitation. Have you heeded the warning? He who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. Have you responded to the invitation? Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. You might be asking, well, why should I believe in Jesus? What has he ever done for me? Well, if you're asking that, it's because Satan has been blinding your mind. And I'm going to close this episode with a true life story that gives an answer to that question. Willie Holt's father was an officer in the English army in India. His mother had died and the regiment adopted him. The soldiers all loved him. He was a frail lad in his early teens. One night, one of the men in the tent where Willie slept committed a very vicious crime, very much against the discipline of the army. The officer in charge decided that he must punish the guilty party, but he could not find the guilty one. He believed it was someone who had slept in that particular tent. He tried to get the criminal to confess, but to no avail. Finally, the officer said, If anyone in that tent will come forward and take the punishment, I'll dismiss the case and the others may go free. Promptly, Willie Holt stepped forward. All of the men knew that he was not guilty. But the officer's word was law. So the officer pled again with the real criminal, seeking to persuade him to be a man and not let this child suffer in his place. But no one in the tent made a move. The punishment was a lashing on the bare back. After several strokes of the whip, Willie fainted and was carried to his cot. Willie never recovered. And he died a couple days later. The man who was guilty of the crime confessed his guilt at Willie's bedside. He wept to shame for what his sin had caused. And he said to Willie, Why did you do it? 
Willie replied in his dying voice, Because I loved you, and because I loved the Lord Jesus. But Jesus did more than I did for you. He died for all your sins. That man accepted Christ that night at Willie's bedside. He was not righteous. He was not godly. He was not good. He did not promise to form his life. He came just as he was, a sinner condemned unclean. He didn't have anything to give God, but had but God had something to give him. The free gift of eternal life. He came just as he was, and that's exactly how you and I must come to him. Charlotte Elliott put it this way, Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. You can come just as you are. You can place your faith in Jesus, believing that he died to pay the penalty for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And if you do, you will have, as a permanent possession, eternal life. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to die in your place and pay the penalty for your sin, that if you believe in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. So right now, right where you are, you can place your faith in Jesus. You could express that by a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that the wages of my sin is death. But Jesus died in my place. So right now I place my faith in Jesus as my own personal Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Amen. If today, during this episode, you placed your faith in Jesus as your own personal Savior, please let me know. I would love to give you more information and to help you grow in your new Christian life. Thanks to all of you for being a part of my podcast family. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give them a five-star review. Hit that follow button so you'll be notified of each new weekly podcast. There is no charge. I'd love it if you took the time to write a brief positive review. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at harlanbetts at gmail.com. Or you can leave a message on my Facebook page, Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings. I am honored that you've chosen to join me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.